0: And use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. PrizePicks, daily fantasy sports made easy.
1: Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com/podcasters to get started.
0: Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter.
2: Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Um, this is a show that I know the three of us have been waiting to record for months, and hopefully the listeners, you've been waiting for it too. And that's where we react to the debut of Ryan Malcastle. Uh, Mountcastle played in his first Major League games over the weekend as the Orioles host the Boston Red Sox. Uh, We're going to get into that along with the upward uh, trends that we're seeing from Cedric Mullen's performance. Uh, Nick wrote about him this morning on Baltimore Sports and Life, so we're going to have him discuss that story in a little bit more detail. And we're also going to discuss some of the prospects that we think might make it to Baltimore before the year ends. Uh, one quick transaction item to note, we're recording this on Tuesday just as the Orioles and Rays are getting underway down at Tropicana Field. Uh, Wade LeBlanc was placed on the 60-day injured list today, and Keegan Aiken, one of the Orioles' top prospects, was recalled from the team's alternate training site in Bowie. Uh, Aiken figures to probably be on the roster for the rest of the summer, but there's still some questions about whether his next appearance will come out of the bullpen or the starting rotation we should have some answers on that uh within the coming days uh we're going to discuss some of these stories uh later on the show but first we want to get into Mountcastle who as I noted made his debut over the weekend against the Red Sox making 12 trips to the plate across three games Mountcastle went three for nine uh two doubles among his three hits with three strikeouts and three walks uh one big question about his game before he arrived in baltimore was his defense there are still some questions about that uh and we really did not see him challenged on any plays over the weekend but based off of what i saw he made the plays he needed to make i thought he looked comfortable out there um but we're gonna get bob and Nick's inside starting with bob what was your impression of mountcastle over the weekend
3: I was pretty impressed. Uh, first of all, it was exciting. The day leading up to his debut, as news started to trickle out on Twitter that he was coming up, Orioles Twitter was going a little crazy, getting excited. It'll be even crazier next year when Rutschman makes his debut. And it seems like this could be just a thing. Every couple of weeks, we're gonna have an exciting debut here the next couple of years, which is cool. But yeah, uh, definitely liked what I saw Mount Mountcastle, especially at the plate. He, You can see how he's aggressive. He had the low walk rate in the minors, as we know. But he really takes big swings up there. He is not cheated. He Also, I feel like he's a bit like Trey Mancini when he was first coming up. He doesn't walk much, but you can tell he is willing to wait for his pitch. But when he gets it, he's not going to let it go by. He's going to swing aggressively at it. Um, bat speed seems good. It seems like when he hits the ball, he hits it hard. And... Yeah, it was good to see him get three walks early on. Pat his on base percentage. I'm sure that will come down as the season wears on. And in left field, yeah, like like Zach said, he he looked competent out there. No worse than Dwight Smith Jr. He tracked the balls. He threw it back into the infield. Uh, much. More, what more can you ask for?
1: That's I mean, a lot better than what Dwight Smith Jr. can do most nights. Um, I mean, uh, I. Gonna miss Dwight Smith Jr. The great seemed like a great guy, but look, you got you got to play the game. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle was yeah, this is awesome. This was like you said, Zach, the moment we've been waiting for. You know when uh, our guy behind BaltimoreSportsLife.com, dot Chris Stoner, came to us and said, hey, we're gonna bring back podcast and we want you guys to run this uh, Orioles minor league podcast. And there's no Orioles minor leagues this year, uh, so this is what we've been waiting for. This is our Super Bowl, and uh, it was really cool to see Mountcastle finally in an Orioles uniform. Uh, the walks were huge. I know it was only three games, but he got three walks. Uh, again, when you're walking like three, four, 5% in the minor leagues, to see him get three in his first three games is just pretty cool. Um, uh, he does swing pretty hard. He's pretty aggressive, but I, I do like that note about Trey Mancini. We saw what Mancini did last year, uh, really kind of taking the pitches that came to him, sitting balls the other way, uh, being more selective at the plate. You saw a lot of his numbers that said you know, his changes were, were real sustainable changes, not just you know the juiced ball era thing. Um, and, and Mountcastle, that can be Mountcastle years from now. You know, we're only talking three games right now, but it was is exciting that he's up uh, is he going to struggle you know, over these next few games of these last what thirty games the Orioles have? He could, um, you know. I think I've seen a lot of people make this note that you know Ryan Mountcastle isn't this elite prospect, uh, and so he's not going to come out and hit 15, 10 home runs over these final few games. Uh, he's not going to. He may not be like the savior that Adley Rushman, We hope Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez are, but he's still a really good hitter, and he's been a really good player for a long time. We've mentioned countless times on this podcast how young he's been in the minor leagues and how well he's performed now he's got that opportunity here in the major leagues and i think it's just time over these last 30 or so games to sit back and enjoy his at bats and let him settle in he looked good he looked confident and i don't think he's a he's not afraid of this challenge he's got in front of him
2: i agree with what both of you said and bob i think there was a really apt comparison with mancini and mountcastle because we did see a little bit more of the aggressive plate approach from mancini his first two years or so in the big leagues, and then last year it seemed like he really found a way to channel that and turned into what was his best overall season in the major leagues. Uh, Mountcastle hopefully will develop into that type of hitter over the next two or three years. Uh, I loved what I saw with the swing. I've always liked Mountcastle's swing. Um, We saw it over the weekend, particularly with the two doubles that he hit. Um, At times I felt like he may be over-swinging a little bit if there was something I had to quibble with. I thought there were a few at-bats where it looked like he was just coming up there to hit the ball as hard as he possibly could, um, sometimes regardless of the count, but that's a pretty minor quibble for a guy's first three games in the major leagues, so I'm really curious to see what he does. I didn't have expectations of him coming up and doing something like what Jordan Alvarez of the Astros did last year, where he comes up and over you know, not even a full season just tears the cover off the ball wins rookie of the year. I I didn't think Mountcastle was going to do that, but two things that I thought Mountcastle would do number one, would make the season a lot more interesting than what it otherwise would be, and I I think that regardless of how things go for him and how they go for the Orioles over the final weeks of the season um, him just being there and being in the lineup every day makes fans a little bit more excited about the future, and one thing, and I made this argument a few weeks ago when I wrote my column on Baltimore Sports and Life with the headline, Promote Ryan Mountcastle. Um, I felt like he was the best internal option in left field when you balanced offense and defense, because at that point the Orioles were giving it bats in left field to Dwight Smith, who has really struggled over the course of his major league career in left field. We have a lot of innings to so that Smith is not a good defensive outfielder. So you weren't having that conflict in Mountcastle coming up and taking innings in left field away from a guy who's a really good glove, um, you're just not going to have that. And I feel like if nothing else, you're going to get defensive production that's similar, maybe slightly better, where you at least hope it improves going forward. But I think that the bat, if nothing else, Mountcastle is going to hit for power.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. I was good. Yeah, one thing. Go ahead, Sorry, Nick. One thing uh, Mountcastle has over Jordan Alvarez is healthy knees. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't even view this as, you know, if the Orioles want to win games, you put your best option out there, which is true. And that would be Ryan Mountcastle. I don't even think it comes down to that. I think this is just, um, you know, we've seen the Orioles come back to life a little bit and, you know, this is still a fun and exciting team. And could they still make the playoffs? Sure. Maybe, uh, if, if everything goes right, but this is about, I think what's best for Ryan Mountcastle's future moving forward. Um, I I enjoyed having Mike Elias on the broadcast I think it was Sunday's broadcast where he talked about kind of what they were doing down there in Bowie and we've seen John Mioli's article and uh Steve Maluski talk about what's going on down there but to hear Mike Elias talk about the the different technologies they're using and his praise for those guys down there like Mountcastle um saying that Mountcastle is walking more than striking out down there in Bowie you know we know the type of pitchers he's facing but you know We've joked about it before, but he is facing D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez as well. So um, to hear that high praise, I think there's there's nothing else Mountcastle can do down there. Yeah, you can work on your defense, but as a hitter, he's, he's pretty polished, I think, at this point, other than the walk. So get him in the major leagues, and now we get to see what he can do.
3: Yeah, it's a great point that it's best for his development, but it's also best for the team right now as they're winning games. Is there a bigger improvement in baseball than going from Chris Davis in your lineup to a guy like Ryan Mountcastle, at least what he could potentially be? I mean, it's a win-win situation, and I think the weird thing about the season for the Orioles, they're 500 right now, and they might trade away players and get better just from the guys they're going to promote from the minor league team, which is is exciting. I do want to ask
2: uh, both of you this, and I'll start with Nick on this point. There are still questions about Mountcastle's defense. We know that was an area the Orioles were working on with him down at Bowie. And as I said in my intro, I didn't think he was really challenged in left field necessarily against the Red Sox. But he at least made the plays that you want him to make, you expect him to make. Do you think that the Orioles are going to stick with him in left field as much as possible for the rest of the year? Or do you think that you're going to see time mixed in at first base in DH with more of the focus on just getting his bat in the lineup? And having him develop as much as possible over the final weeks of the season.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be that second point because I think he's DHing tonight. Uh, if I, yeah, so he's DHing tonight against the Rays, which is good to see. Um, I think. The work in left field is because Chris Davis we know is contractually stuck in this lineup for so many more years, uh, and so it doesn't seem like the Orioles are ready to move on from him anytime soon, although with this scary knee injury he has, you know, we, we don't know what, what Chris Davis's future holds, but um, I think you, you're you putting him in left field right now just in a planning for Chris Davis and to Nunez to stick around for at least two, three more years maybe, uh, and so you got to get his bat in the lineup somehow, and left field is going to be that best option. But moving forward, is he a left fielder? I I don't think so. I don't think that's the case at all. But right now it's play left field as much as you can and then slip in DH first base whenever you can just to get the bat in the lineup.
3: Versatility is Mm -hmm. valued nowadays in Major League Baseball. So even if he is long-term a first base slash DH, the ability to put him in left field every once in a while can help a team out.
2: Yeah, that's kind of where I think, how I feel about this. You know, as much versatility as you can give him at the same time, uh, you want the bat to develop. So what I'm kind of hoping the Orioles do is put him in left field, make that his primary position, but then on days where they don't feel comfortable running him out there for whatever reason, that they at least stick him at first base or D8s. Right now, the Orioles do have a little bit of flexibility on their roster because Mason Williams is up. He's actually starting in left field. Uh, in the series opener at Tampa Bay. And the guy who we're going to talk about next on this show, Cedric Mullins, who's making a little bit of an impression. Now, there are still some questions about when Austin Hayes is coming back from the injury. So until we have more clarity on that, it seems like Mullins is going to be the everyday center fielder. But um, it seems like even if the Orioles do get to the point where you have Hayes, have to make a decision between Hayes and Mullins, Mullins should have a roster spot because... He's looked good on defense. We're seeing some improvements at the plate. If you want a little bit more insight on that, Nick did put an article up on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com uh, this morning to discuss it, but we're also going to talk about it here. So, Nick, I, I enjoyed your story, and I agreed with most of the key points. Where do you think Mullins has really improved um, in his upon his return from Bowie, and what parts of it, if any, do you think could be sustainable?
1: I think just first of all, it's that confidence in himself. Like I've mentioned before on the show, watching him in Norfolk last year after his demotion, he he looked he looked terrible. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. Just the body language was just of someone who had completely shut down. Um, and it was like that in the, his first few games down in Bowie. But you know, Bowie started winning games because I think they started out last year with very few wins to start the season and ended on that hot streak. He joined a team that was hot. He was able to turn things around. You saw the body language change, and you know I, I focus on that a lot. But I think that means a lot, and for a young player like that who's struggling, um, and what we've seen now is the bat come around. You know, he's I just mentioned in the article about his uh, eight games that he started since Hayes went down. In those eight games, he's hitting 379 with a four hundred on on-base percentage and a one fifty-one wRC plus, and I mean. Long term, is Cedric Mullins the starting center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles? No. Uh, hopefully that's Hayes, but we've learned this afternoon that there's now no timetable for Hayes' return, so this is Cedric Mullins' job right now. Um, maybe Ryan McKenna, we don't know, we'll talk about that later on, but... With Cedric Mullins, you know, he's hitting the ball really well right now. His defense is fantastic. I also mentioned, if you look at on Baseball Savant, the outs above average leaderboard in the outfield, you got Kevin Kerrmeyer and Luis Robert at the top, and then it's Cedric Mullins. And Mullins has only played in 10 or 12 games in the outfield. Um, that's a testament to how well his defense is. We know his speed on the base paths. We know he can track balls down in the outfield. Uh, it's just a matter of can he hit, and that hit tool has got to stick around. He's got to continue to hit the ball if he wants to stick on this roster, and right now he's doing it. And you know, Like I said, he's, he's a fourth, fifth outfielder, I think, for the rest of his career, but this was a guy who I think 95% of Orioles fans had completely written off last year. So the fact that we're talking about him in this situation, I think, is, is a big deal. It's huge, and it's good for him. Yeah.
3: Mm. yeah, absolutely. It's good to see him rebound. And like Nick said, I think fourth or fifth outfielder, that's probably his his floor, especially if he can if he can hit at all. Like, his speed is great. His range in the outfield is amazing. He's 98 percentile in outs above average, 77 percentile in outfield jump, and 80 percent in speed. So that right there, you get defensive replacement, Sub outfielder, any position, pinch runner, he can provide a lot of value and he's really weaponized the bunt single this year. I think that's a a big thing that's helped his confidence, knowing that he can just push a bunt down a third baseline and sprint to first base, and more times than not, he's going to make it. Uh, It's actually kind of surprising that his expected batting average is actually lower than it was in 2019, which I didn't look at his uh, batting average for balls in play. That might be really low or something, but. That was a little bit surprising, but his exit velocity is around the same. He has improved his launch angle to about 16 and half degrees. It was around 14 last year and 10 the year before that. So clearly the work he's putting in is paying off, but like Nick said, I think it's the confidence is the most key. It was great to see him get out to this bit of a start here in the first month, and hopefully he can build upon that and cement his place uh, on this roster for at least the next couple of years. Yeah. You
2: know, I – I had had hopes when Mullins first came up in 2018 that he would be one of those guys because, you know, the big knock on his defense was always the arm strength when he was coming up through the minor leagues, and there's not much you can really do about that. I had expected to see a little bit better results in center field over the time that he was up in 2018 and then the beginning of 2019 before he was sent to the minors than what they ultimately got. This is a little bit closer to what I was expecting, but even with relatively high expectations for him in the beginning, I have to say he looks great. Um, he just his routes to the ball have looked really good and I think some of that comes back to what Nick has pointed out with his body language. Um, I didn't get a chance to see Mullins when he was sent down last year, but it did seem like in the major leagues the body language wasn't always the best, especially right before he was sent down, but that does just watching him this summer does seem like a big improvement. Yeah. And my other big thing with Mullins is
1: that, you know, for the production he's going to put in, you can find these guys anywhere in free agency right now. You can find these guys all over the minor leagues, sure. But this is someone who really struggled in the major leagues. He really struggled in a got demoted twice in one season. And here he is back in the major leagues, hitting the way he is, fielding the way he is. Uh, I think that's a, a testament to the type of, of person he is and the type of player that he is. And so, um, If the Orioles, you know, the outfield is going to be crowded over the next few years. There are a lot of guys coming up, but we don't know if Ryan McKenna will pan out. We don't know if some of these more fringy type outfielders who we project as fourth or fifth outfielders will pan out. But maybe we have something in Cedric Mullins. So there's at least there's that backup there that we know we can rely on when Hayes goes down, if Mancini gets hurt when he comes back, you know, prayers up that he comes back. Um, If Santander is ever hurt, we know we've got Cedric Mullins in our pocket in the back. And a player like that, like you said, he can hit a home run or he can bunt for a single either way, uh, pretty much on command. So I, I like it.
3: Yeah, and that's a great point about how he bounced back from last year. It's pretty rare that you see a guy rise up, make his major league debut, have some success, completely tank the next year, and then actually rebound from that so quickly. I think it shows a testament to his work ethic and uh, his heart and his just yeah. baseball mind. He's He knows what to do to try to get himself back on the on the right uh, Huge
1: track. expectations, like replacing Adam Jones. We all anointed him the yeah. replacement, and look what happened.
2: Yep. Yeah, th- those were really big expectations, especially when you got around the August of 2018. You have Adam Jones in right field. You have Cedric Mullins in center. You have, like, feel like every Orioles game you're watching, you're watching the passing of the Torch. Um, and I think that probably did raise a lot of expectations for Mullins in the beginning. And that was a really high standard to meet, even if, you know, we're still, there's still discussions today about Adam Jones' defense. Was he ever that good of a center fielder? But what that guy meant to the Orioles and, his production over the years that was always going to be a high threshold to meet so we'll um hopefully we'll continue to see those improvements from mullins uh over the next few weeks and as nick mentioned with austin hayes no timetable for his return from the injured list right now the center field job uh is his until further notice so hopefully mullins is able to make the most of it um as we noted at the beginning of the show, the debut of Ryan Mountcastle came over the weekend. Keegan Aiken debuted uh, not long, about a week before Mountcastle did, and those have really been the first big debuts of the Orioles 2020 season. But signs uh, kind of indicating right now they're not going to be the last because Michael Elias did have some positive comments over the weekend about a few players down at Bowie. One of them is a player that we have talked about extensively as someone that we expect to see either in the rotation or the bullpen um, at some point this season, and that's Dean Kramer. But Usaniel Diaz also came up, and I'll let Nick talk about that a little bit. Um, Diaz was not necessarily someone that we had pinpointed as someone who would reach the majors later this year, but Elias uh, gave some positive words about him over the weekend on the Masson broadcast, right, Nick? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's seen pretty. You know, Diaz was
1: someone who was hurt for most of last year. He only had two really healthy months. And so to hear Michael Elias kind of praise Diaz, and you've got the kind of sense that we might be seeing him at some point this year. Uh, and I hope that's the case. You know, he's. He's eligible for the Rule 5 draft, I believe, this offseason. And so the Orioles are going to have to add him to the 40 man eventually. And I know trying to do that right now in the middle of this season is going to be a little bit more difficult when you need pitchers. You've got the injuries that are piling up right now. But, you know, Diaz is someone who I think is still very, very underrated in this system and so if when he's healthy and we've talked about those numbers before when he's healthy uh the guy is a doubles machine he can hit home runs he has a cannon in right field Uh, you're going to have a big issue of how to settle this outfield and it's a really good issue though that the Orioles are going to have um and when you got right now with Santander out in right field you got Cedric Mullins and you got Ryan Mountcastle as your outfield and then you've got Mason Williams um it doesn't seem like Austin Hayes may not... He may be back for a week or two. We don't know. Uh, so you got Mason Williams right now as your fourth outfielder. If Diaz is healthy and he's performing well as like and is living up to this praise that Michael Elias has given him, then I, I don't see why the Orioles don't bring him up, at least for the last two, three weeks of the year. And let's ease him into this and see what he's got. You know, let's keep adding to this excitement here.
3: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think Mike Elias called him the sleeper prospect in the system, which was... Exciting to hear. Um, yeah, like you said, what are they going to do with the outfield? You don't want to move Santander off of right with the success he's having. You, obviously, if Hayes is healthy, he'd be in center, but do they try using the LDS in center field? I think he's played a little bit of it in the minor leagues. Or do you put him in left field, shift Mountcastle to first, slash DH? But what if Chris Davis comes back from his <laughs> bruised ego? Um, it's It's really tough, but like you said, that's like – of all the problems I have, that's the one you want, where you're struggling to find time to put in uh, playing time for some good players, good prospects. So especially when Trey Mancini comes back uh, next season, it, it's it's exciting times. So hopefully we see him. Hopefully he shows why he is considered Michael Elias' sleeper prospect, and we have even more of these issues
2: in the future yeah it's a good problem to have and I think it's one that even if the Orioles don't have to confront it this year they're gonna have to deal with it next year which is how do you find it bats for a lot of corner outfield first base type players now I think Diaz is going to stick in the outfield I'm not saying that about a question of his defense but more so the idea that you're going to have to move someone off of an outfield spot to make room for him um But I think that Diaz has kind of flown under the radar in part because of the injuries he had last year. Um, I think some fans may have forgotten about him or maybe already felt a little bit of prospect fatigue, uh, despite the fact he's been in the system now for about two years since the Manny Machado trade. Um, But, you know, the reports that Elias gave are very positive. It sounds like he's healthy. It sounds like he's hitting the ball well. I feel like defensively he's probably ready for a corner outfield spot or at least close to ready. Um if you can find him at bats, I don't see the harm in bringing him up. That's going to be the real question is, you know, as we've talked about, we don't know for sure how long Hayes is going to be out. We don't know how long Chris Davis is going to be out. But if there's a roster spot for Diaz and there's a way you can get him at bats, I don't see the harm in bringing him up over the final 2 or 3 weeks seeing what you have and if he looks great, you plan on him starting out the you know 2021 season in the major leagues. If you don't feel like he's quite ready, then there's no harm in planning to stick him at AAA for a month or two to start 2021 and go with Mountcastle, Hayes, and Santander, and Mullins in the outfield to start the year. And then if Diaz proves he's ready after a month or two, bring him up then.
3: Yeah, and this is why I said a couple weeks ago that DJ Stewart really kind of blew his opportunity to start this year because you see guys like Diaz start coming up if McKenna starts making some noise then it's really hard to find some at-bats for DJ, a guy like DJ Stewart
1: yeah and for Diaz's sake maybe he doesn't feel the pressure
3: because you know he's,
1: he's a new guy to the Orioles um, only been in the system for about two years like you said but we know all of these trades the Orioles have made in the past and how they have it worked out. And so I think we are placing a lot of pressure on Diaz to live up. I don't think he's ever going to live up to Manny Machado type production, obviously. But we want to see something in return for one of those 2018 fire cell trades. Um, and, you know, Diaz has been sitting around and I, I really do believe that he is that sleeper prospect uh, again he's a guy I think is is a future all-star in the major leagues um, I've, I've said that for a while and I'm going to stick with that um, guy is really really good when he is on and when he is healthy and he performed really well in double-a his offensive numbers last year when he was healthy uh, I think it was June and July maybe when those two healthy months when those are on his numbers were amazing and in a year in 2019 where numbers in the eastern league offense was it was pathetic in the Eastern league last year. Uh, and so that's, that's really promising. And I don't know specifically which pitchers he faced, you know, but game by game, but you know, when you're going up against the Matt Manning's and the Casey Mises um, over there that were in the Eastern league last year, DS performed really well. That's, you you got to find a for him, though. I think that's, that is the big issue though, that the Orioles are going to have.
3: Yeah. Don't bring him up just to no. sit on the bench and get in sporadically. If he's coming up.
2: Yeah. Bye. that That's the thing. If you're, you know, If you don't have regular at-bats for him, you are better off leaving him at Bowie, let him build his confidence up, um, and then try to figure out how to fit him in the Major League sometime in 2021. But for anyone that may have forgotten about Diaz, the one point I would make is that he was a consensus top 100 prospect in the game coming in the last season. And I think he slipped you know, partially because new players were drafted. We saw the top 100 take a different shape, thanks in part to players like Adley Rutzman. But then also with the injuries, um, Diaz just kind of dropped off the radar a little bit. Um, Had there been a minor league season this year, we might be talking about Diaz in a much different light right now. We might be talking about him as someone who really moved up the prospect list. Or we might be talking about him as someone who's in the major league lineup already and has maybe been there for a few weeks. So I think if the Orioles can find him at bats, uh, which would probably come because you don't have Austin Hayes or Chris Davis coming back uh, before the season ends then I think they should go ahead and give a look to Diaz. Um, As Nick said, I believe he is Rule 5 eligible after this season. So adding him to the 40-man roster is an inevitability. If they don't make that move between now and the end of the 2020 season, they're going to be making it this fall when the deadline rolls around to make a distance to the 40-man before the Rule 5 draft. No question. I
1: think... Two weeks ago, if we were talking about this, I would have said there's no chance he's coming up whatsoever. But maybe it's the excitement from Mountcastle, and now we're getting Kikadake back. But and hearing Michael Elias, and I know Michael Elias is, is he's gonna, you know, general manager talk when he's on the broadcast. Everybody's performing well and hitting home runs and striking everybody out. But you know, to hear all that, I, I I'm starting to get that sense that maybe. Maybe if Michael Eisner knows he, that he's going to be moving some pieces of the trade deadline in the next couple of days, and he knows these guys are going to come up, uh, then you know we're going to be looking at those exciting times over these last few weeks, and we're going to be seeing a, a wave of prospects coming up over the next few weeks.
3: Yeah, the phrase "knocking on the door" in regards to Dean Kramer was yeah. pretty exciting too.
2: So that actually transitions into the next board we're going to have on this show, which is. Other than Diaz, um, who we just now talked about, and then Aiken and Mountcastle, who have already made it, um, who else do we think could make it uh, to Baltimore this year? I think Kramer is about as much as a lock as someone can be a lock right now just because I know the Orioles are going to need more pitching. It could be prompted by injuries. It could be prompted by players not performing, or it could be prompted by moves uh, made before the trade deadline on Monday. But I think we see Kramer... Um, Bruce Zimmerman is another guy for me that I think could slot into a bullpen or rotation role at some point later in the year, perhaps over the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, Bob and Nick, I'll start with you, Bob. In addition to those two guys, first off, do you see Kramer or Zimmerman coming up? But then is there anybody else you think we should be on the lookout for?
3: Yeah, I do think that they'll both be up by the end of the season. I think there's a decent chance that a guy like Alex Cobb or Tommy Malone gets traded, especially with their performance. And I think I saw that, which is exciting, that the Orioles are willing to pitch in money on Cobb's contract to get a better return, which tells me maybe they're more invested in moving him this season than I thought they were. But I think you could see Kramer take uh, Cobb's spot. You could see Zimmerman take Malone's spot, if say, if they were both traded. But even if they're not, I think you might see Wojo get moved to the bullpen, and maybe one of the prospects take his spot. And I think it does not hurt uh, to get some of these guys up here, pitch out of the bullpen in some good opportunities like they did with uh, Aiken his first time up, wait for a clean inning, maybe a game where you're losing by five runs, winning by five runs, a little bit less pressure. I think you could see a guy like Michael Bauman up here, especially if, if he's a guy that if you put him in a bullpen, he can get close to triple digits, I bet, and just wipe out some guys in a relief appearance and... Yeah, I would be excited to see it. I'm still surprised that Zach Luther and Alexander Wells aren't <laughs> on the uh, additional roster, but maybe they will be added uh, once guys get moved or released. We'll see.
1: Yeah, it be interesting to see who does get moved, but yeah, I, I think a lot of those guys will make their debuts. Uh, Bauman was the one that I was actually kind of iffy on, only because uh, I'm wondering if would we see one of the two angels, the guys we got in the angels trade with Dylan Bundy? Uh, Kyle Bradish is in the player pool. Isaac Matson's in the player pool. I think those are more relief type guys in the major leagues. So maybe. If the Orioles need innings and they do end up trading a few pitchers, if Michael Givens gets traded and they need bullpen arms, uh, and if, if Cobb is gone and Givens is gone, and you know we, we're clearly not going for a playoff spot this year, uh, then maybe you start to see some of those relief-type prospects. Um, I know Steve Maluski, Maluski on Masson.com had a really good article today on Brian Gonzalez. Uh, and you know Gonzalez is a guy we talked about before, starter-turned-reliever, who performed better down in Bowie, you know, the stuff isn't, you know, super promising with Gonzalez, but I think the big takeaway from that article was how well the Orioles are taking those advanced analytics and those crazy numbers and stats and and all this new wording and phrasing that's used in modern day baseball. And they're making it uh, easy to break down and digest for these prospects. And we're seeing the results uh, already. And so using Brian Gonzalez as the poster boy for that article, you know, maybe he's performing well down in Bowie and we see him get a shot. Um, if you don't want to start the clocks for guys like Bauman Bauman and others right now. But yeah, I think Kramer, Aiken. if Kramer, Aiken are in the starting rotation in two weeks, um, I think that's a very good chance we see that. And that would be the ideal way to end this season.
3: Yeah, speaking of that article you're talking about, my favorite part was that he mentioned how the Orioles aren't just like throwing this stuff at these guys out of nowhere. They're actually having like Sit down classes where they're learning about this stuff and really making it easy to digest, which that was like the best part to me. That just shows they're doing it the right way, not just, you know, hopefully these guys will have a growth mindset and get on board with this. No, they're actually saying, here's what we're doing and here's why. I like that.
2: Yeah, Gonzalez was the one player there. I remember when he was added to the player pool, the three of us were kind of surprised, but I do wonder if the Orioles need some left handed help out of that bullpen over the last couple of weeks of the season, if he's someone we see. Um, Nick brought up Isaac Batson, which is the name I've kind of expected is going to be in the bullpen at some point. Um, I guess the help hasn't really been needed yet so far, but if there are a couple of trades, I would not be shocked to see Matson there. I would like to see Ballman at some point, just because to me he made some strides forward last year and maybe I just really wanted to see him pitch this year, and I'm just viewing him reaching the major leagues as a way to do that. But I would kind of be intrigued by the idea, even if he disappeared as part of a taxi squad stint during a road trip uh, in the month of September, that might be an interesting way to slot him into a uh, couple of innings if the Orioles can do that. As I said, I think Kramer pretty much is as close to a lock as you can get at this point. If the Orioles do move any of their pitchers, including Cobb and Malone, I would have to hope that Aiken and Kramer get extended looks in the rotations over the final months of the season because I think even if long-term you have questions about whether or not those guys are both starters, I'm a little bit more confident Kramer being a starter than I am Aiken. But I think regardless of whether or not you have questions long-term about them being starters, you should try to develop them there initially. So if that means over the final month of 2020 and the first month or two of 2021, Aiken and Kramer are in your rotation, I think it's a good way to do it. And then you can kind of see over time, do you put one of them in the bullpen? Do you put them back in the minor leagues because they need more seasoning, Or can you now look at them and say, okay, Kramer and Aiken are part of our rotation going forward. And we compare them with John Means, or whoever else is around next year and start to finally build the semblance of a consistent five-man rotation, which the Orioles have not been able to do for a long time. Hmm.
3: Yeah, completely agree with what yeah, you That would
1: be nice. And I think Bauman, too, I, you guys talking about him, he probably is arguably the was the most improved prospect in the Orioles system last year, I think. So it does kind of hurt to, to know that he doesn't get that in-game action this year. So, yeah, like I said, if he can get a, a few innings out of the bullpen and throw 98, 99 miles an hour and get some strikeouts under his belt, that, that would be nice to see.
2: Yeah, and he's another guy that I put in that category. I tried to develop him as a starter for as long as you can, so even yeah. if he does appear in the bullpen um, late in the year, a la Hunter Harvey in 2019, I would still think that you try long term that you try 2021 to get him back in the rotation, whether that's in Triple A or in Baltimore. But Ballman's been someone that I've hoping that I've hoped we would see. Um, one other name I wanted to mention for position players. I know we talked about the difficulty of getting Diaz at bats. Um, and how that's one factor the Orioles really have to consider in deciding whether to bring him up. But do you think Ryan McKenna is in the mix at all? Um, Bob, I'll start with you.
3: I think he could be in the mix. I think it's going to depend on the severity of Austin Hayes' injury and how fast he can come back from that. Say he's, for some reason, it's really bothering him, he's out for another, say he's out for the season or close to it, I think you will see McKenna, because he's a guy that can play center field, maybe you can platoon him with... Mullins, or at least have them share time and center. I think if Hayes gets back relatively soon and stays healthy, I think maybe there's a small chance if there's another injury. But I think McKenna might just stay in the minor leagues at that point.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a tough one, only because you know McKenna. I think obviously has a lot more questions than Usnel Diaz right now about his future. And so, do you go ahead and just play Mason Williams, play Cedric Mullins, ride that that hot hand for Mullins right now? Hope Mason Williams is okay, although it looks like, uh, I'm trying to follow along on Twitter a little bit while we're doing the show, it looks like Mason Williams might have made an error already, I, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like he's doing very well. Um, but it, with McKenna, maybe it's the thing of you just go ahead and keep him down at the alternate site, it, it seems like things are going very well down there with this player development program. Uh, they decided to keep him, uh, protect him from the Rule five draft last year, obviously the Orioles see something in him, or they want to see him in the major leagues, so... I think I agree with Bob that that chance is pretty slim, uh, but you know his ability to play center field if Hayes is out for the year maybe does bump his chances up a little bit, but I think there's just too many questions about the bat right now, so maybe he stays down a little bit longer.
2: Yeah, I think the bat is a bigger question mark with McKenna than it is with Diaz. Um, I've thought all along that if McKenna does make it up this year. It would kind of be in that um, speed and defense role where you have him as someone that can come off the bench in the later innings. Um, and play one of the corner spots or play center field. If Mullins continues to hit, you're probably not going to need a guy in that spot if they decide to go with Mullins and Mason Williams for the rest of the year. You're not going to need that type of role player. And I have a hard time right now, unless there is another injury, for seeing a scenario where you have McKenna and Diaz in the major leagues. Because Diaz is not really the type of guy that you should have to run a defensive replacement out for in the later innings. So now you have the challenge of how do you get two outfield prospects at bats. So I almost feel like it might be a one or the other situation. But I think that with McKenna, um, the focus might be more, it might be more important to focus on leaving him down at Bowie, let the bat develop. And if you need someone later in the year who can play center field and just give you really good defense, um, or you are kind of looking for someone that can get you the last six, nine outs in the outfield, Uh, that's when you take a look at McKenna. So I've mentioned a few times on the show that the trade deadline is Monday. This is actually going to be the last show we record before the trade deadline. Um, So we're going to take a few minutes before we sign off to discuss some players that we think might be traded. The name that seems to be floating around the rumor mill the most is Michael Gibbons. We've heard Gibbons' name Uh, out there a lot in trade speculation the last few years to no avail. He's still with the Orioles, but with his uh, team control running out after next season and a lot of teams needing bullpen help right now, he seems like a guy that could be dealt uh, before Monday's deadline. Alex Cobb with his resurgence in health and production, looks like he could also be traded. Uh, Tommy Malone is another name that has been popping up in the rumor mill a little bit more. Um, So I'll start with you, Nick. Do you think we see any moves on Monday? And uh, if so, who do you think ultimately is dealt? Yeah,
1: it's a really tough question because you know we don't really know. You, know some, you see some reports that say teams aren't going to spend the money, uh, and so trade a guy like Alex Cobb may be difficult. And you see other reports that say that you know if the Orioles can eat some of that contract, and maybe he's a little bit easier to move. Teams need pitching. Uh, the Braves have like Max Freed and just. Prayers in their starting rotation at this point. Uh, the Yankees are decimated by injuries. You know they're going to spend money. Um, so that that was the first thing that kept popped into my mind as far as maybe an Alex Cobb deal. The Yankees <clears throat> will be more than willing, I'm sure, to to buy that contract if they really like him. Um, I really think it's got to be Givens. Um, it would be the most obvious. He's got that extra year of control. So if you look at a team like you know San Diego or. You know, Philadelphia or the Nationals, if the Orioles and Nationals would swing a deal. Uh, but you look at those teams where they get their arm now and they have him set up for another year. You know, the Padres are going to be contending for a long time. Kirby Yates is out. Drew Pomeranz is out. Emilio Pagan is out. Um, they got a lot of former Orioles on that roster and on that coaching staff. Uh, it's pretty much Baltimore West Coast. So maybe Givens is attractive there. You've seen the potential deals about Givens going to the Twins, Givens going to the Braves, even. Um, you know, I think that's the most obvious. And, and I think that while teams may not be willing to spend a lot this year at the trade deadline, relievers are going to be in high demand. I, I believe that. And so it, we talked about Scott last time. I hope the Orioles don't trade Tanner Scott. But if you get the Francisco Bahia type Hall in return, goodbye, Tanner Scott. Thank you for all you did. Uh, but. I'm a, I'm just gonna go with Givens on this one. I think he's the only one that gets moved.
3: Appreciate every appearance you see out of Michael Givens this week because he's yeah. as good as gone, in my opinion. So many teams need pitching, especially out of the bullpen, and surprisingly, the Orioles have a lot of options in that scenario between Givens, Cobb, Malone, maybe a guy like Miguel Castro. I could see maybe him getting moved for a desperate team. Uh, you got to be desperate to want Miguel Castro. No offense, Nick. But, uh, no, uh, Givens has looked amazing this year. His only run he's given up was because he walked a guy and Tanner Scott gave up a home run. So I think he's done nothing but increase his trade value this season, and the extra year of control does not hurt at all. I think Givens and I'll say Alex Cobb does get moved. I think a team like the Braves or the Yankees will find it uh, – In their best interest to make a move like that for a starting pitcher and I think he has to be at least one of the better options in that regard and he might not cost much in terms of prospects as far as a position player I wonder if a guy like Pedro Severino if he can bounce back quickly from this injury could be a guy that gets moved just he's played so well this year and we have Chance Sisko and the almighty Brian Holiday in reserve so we have room to spare him but at the same time, he's valuable to us, so I I think that would be less likely. But I just I'm ready for Michael Ias to surprise us with something. Yeah,
2: I think Michael Givens definitely goes. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of teams that need bullpen help right now. Givens is someone we have heard in the rumor mill over the last few years, but I think the conditions right now are good for him to be traded, partially because, as I said, a lot of teams need bullpen help. In theory, the buyer's market could be a little bit bigger because you do have this 16-team playoff this year. But also, I think Brandon Hyde has really used givens in spots where he's successful, which is focus more on putting him in in the high leverage situation and not so much the ninth inning. Don't put him in that traditional closure role. Make him more the guy that comes in in a tight spot in the seventh or eighth innings or maybe even if you need him in the sixth. Just someone who can come in, get those two or three most important outs of the game. And those aren't always going to be in the ninth inning. And I think that the way Hyde has used him this year has reflected that. And I think that if teams are been watching Givens closely, they have to feel like, all right, this isn't someone the Orioles are trying to make a closer and it's not working, which we kind of saw flashes of the last two years. This is more so this, these going into high leverage spots for the Orioles and he's getting the outs they need to make. So if I'm a team that's in contention, I'm watching that. I know Givens can strike guys out. I know he has postseason experience. Um, I would take a long look at trading him. And I think that the Orioles, you know, I don't know what the expectation is going to be on a return for him, but I would suspect that Givens is going to fetch you back some decent prospects. Um, Cobb, I'm a little bit more conflicted about, just because I don't know how many teams are going to be willing to take on that contract. And part of me questions if the Orioles are better off waiting until the offseason season to see if they can find a team that would be willing to give them a little bit better prospect in exchange for eating more of that salary because the orioles don't have that many high payroll obligations for 2021 and to me would be worth it to take on a higher portion of cobb's salary to get a better prospect back than it would be to trade him to a team like the yankees as a salary dump that's where i come into a little bit more conflict with cobb um and ultimately why I would not be surprised if he's traded, but if he's still an Oriole on September 1st, I'm still going to think there's opportunity to move him and maybe get a little bit better return if he finishes the year healthy and you can start to build a market of teams that are willing to give you a better prospect for a one-year rental where the Orioles pick up most of the salary.
1: Yeah, you just look at some of the other names being floated around, like I think Dylan Bundy is going to be a hot name because the Angels continue to fail in every regard and surround him, uh, Mike Trout with anything productive. So Bundy's going to be hot. You know, a lot of talk like Johnny Cueto. He's been really good this year, but that's another monster contract. Uh, I don't know about Lance Lynn. It seems like the Rangers are going to trade, and then I saw reports of the Rangers aren't going to move Lance Lynn now. Uh, so who knows? There, I, I don't really know if there's a lot of big names out there in the market. And, and Cobb has been pitching really well, so you know, if it's going to take a desperate team, but I, I keep looking at the Yankees. It, you know, if if you want to send him to the Yankees, I'm actually really fine with that. You know, he's it's, it's, whatever at this point. You know, the Orioles aren't going to be. This year was was fun to watch those first few games of the season, but you know this team is is they're not going to go to the playoffs next year either. So if, if Cobb destroys us for one year, I'm fine with that. If we can get some of those, uh, the Yankees got They still have good prospects in the, their upper levels of the minors, so maybe we can get some of those in return. Yeah.
3: he could be this year's J. A. Happ for them.
2: Yeah, and one other fit I would throw out for Cobb, and Dan Connolly mentioned this in the Athletic um, recently. I think it was this morning. Um, Maybe the Dodgers, because of Andrew Friedman being out there. He does have a background with him. The Dodgers, as we have seen before, um, not afraid to take on contracts like Cobbs. So that's one more fit that I would throw in there in addition to the Yankees and Braves. Um, I also question if we're going to see the Orioles and Astros linked up at any point. Just because the Astros have dealt with so many injuries this year. And although the A's, I think, are probably the most underrated team in baseball right now in that they've had this incredible run and yet don't get the attention that the Yankees and Dodgers get and maybe not even the attention the Twins are getting, um, Houston's still kind of in the mix, at least for a wild card spot, and maybe they feel like they can make a run into the division. So uh, whether it's bullpen help or rotation help, maybe the Orioles and Astros pair up on a trade uh, on Monday.
3: Miguel Castro, come on down.
2: It, you know, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I feel like the Orioles are gonna hold on to Castro, and I kind of hope they do because I think that there's even more potential than what we've seen this year. But that, that name would not shock me. I wouldn't be shocked if Castro is dealt. That if you can get anything from Miguel Castro right now,
1: after what we've watched over the last few years, like that would be huge. That's just another testament to you know what if if this team only ends up winning 20 to 25 games and falls in fourth place in the AL East that's fine but if you're able to get something from Tommy Malone Miguel Castro uh you're able to move Cobb's contract Cedric Mullins is back you know you see Santander is now a potential MVP like that's a huge year for the Orioles and
3: and I'm down with that absolutely more than we could have asked for coming in especially with the 60 game season (laughs)
2: <laughs> all right, so before we uh, head out, um, any final thoughts? I'll start with you, Nick.
3: No,
1: I think just keep enjoying Ryan Mountcastle. It looks like he walked again, so he's got four walks now in four days. So this, ignore all the scouting reports you've ever read about him. Ryan Mountcastle is uh, legit. <laughs> he should have been a top 100 prospect. Um, yeah, just enjoy Ryan Mountcastle. Let's see what these trades. Hopefully Michael Elias surprises us. Uh, I want to get back from the beach this weekend and settle into work on Monday and then go into panic mode again because Michaelias traded three guys. Um, let' let's let's make these last four weeks of the regular season interesting. Uh,
3: maybe we need to start believing Eyes more often. He said he was down to work on his plate discipline and his defense and so far so good so. Shout out to that. Yeah, that's a good call. But also, I'd like to congratulate Jonah Heim, who, former Oriole, who finally got promoted to the Oakland A's uh, Major League roster. So that was cool to see. It's always nice when a, a former prospect for our team shows up somewhere else.
2: Yeah, and um, so Mountcastle, definitely looking forward to seeing what he has to offer. And... Looking forward to the day where he breaks uh, Ricky Henderson's record for walks by all time by a Major League player. So I'm I'm hoping that they drop the banners down on the warehouse when that comes around because they haven't done that in a long time.
3: Instead of like the 21 31 yes. count count up, it'll be how many walks he has. Yeah, your... however many walks
2: Ricky Henderson had plus one. We look forward to the day somewhere around 2040 where we can celebrate that. Uh, but yes, certainly Mount Castle the plate discipline has looked good and hopefully we just continue to see gradual improvement from him over the final weeks. And, uh, he delivers on some of the hype. So we'll be back next week. In the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at, at BSL on the birds, uh, Baltimore sports and life head over there for the latest in Orioles and Ravens coverage. And along with, uh, additional sports topics. Uh, I mentioned Nick's article about Cedric Mullins earlier in the show and I should mention that Bob's latest three-up, three-down column is now live on Baltimore Sports and Life. So head over there, check that out, and hop on the message board uh, for Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan, And this has been Zach Speden Thank you for listening.